Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. Uh, in this podcast, I would like to welcome Adam Wookie. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so Adam is um, an RFU referee. He'll tell us a little bit about his background in a moment. And um, we're here to talk mainly about tackle height, but we might also touch on some of the new ideas or laws which are coming out of World Rugby at the moment around the 50-22 and uh, the kicking out of from the dead ball line, the dropouts. But we'll come back to that in a moment. So, Adam, just to give us a little bit of your background before uh, we kick off with some questions. So, I am currently an RFU National Panel Referee. I started refereeing when I was 17 um, with my local Dorset Wilts Referee Society. Um, progressed from there, went through the Southwest Group, and then got selected after two years on the group to be the, a part of the national panel. So currently refereeing National 1 games, uh, some of the A-League games, and this year's mainly been around the Women's Premiership. Okay, so plenty of experience in terms of the, the, the refereeing side of things, and this is where I really want to base most of my questions, is the interpretations and the consequences of some of the law changes that have been proposed by the RFU around about age grade tackle height and also the ball carrier height. So do you want to just give us a bit of a summary of what's going on there? And then we will delve in a bit more deeply on how we might see that being refereed. So as a lot of people who probably listened to your podcast and seen that we've got the new high tackle process, um, as part of that, the RFU have done their own research and and with the age grade rugby, they've decided to change some of the regulations, which now lowers the tackle height for age grade rugby. So instead of it being the shoulder height, we're now going to ask players to make sure that the tackle height is below the armpit area, armpit nipple region. Main reason behind that, again, is player safety. And as referees, all we really care about on a match day is player safety. So ideally, we'll have that lower, lower the tackle height Players will change their behaviour, tackle lower when they're at their young age, and then that will progress into the senior age groups. We won't see as many high tackles as we currently do see. And in turn, we'll get less concussions and less long-term injuries. Now, one of the things about concussions is that um, do they happen because of a poor tackle on the ball carrier? So the ball carrier gets concussed, or does it happen because of poor technique by the tackler? I think that is a very 50-50 sort of uh, look at it. We see a lot of tackles. So we do at the moment see a lot of uh, concussions due to uh, the head contact by the tackler on the tackled player, on the ball carrier, and that's causing the ball carrier to have concussions. However, we have seen a growing number of concussions from the tackler itself. So this is why the the world will be brought in the high the head contact process compared to previously when they had the high tackle framework and that's to prevent actually and help the tackler go lower and prevent head-on-head collisions which we were seeing which was actually affecting the tackler as well as the tackled player. 
So the idea really is to change behaviour over a longer period of time. So when younger players come up into the senior game, they have a better understanding and a better technical approach to tackling. Yeah, I believe this is the whole premise behind the change in the regulation is so that when if you get a player who's, you know, early ages are, are learning to tackle at a lower height and aim for the midriff underneath where traditionally the ball is carried, then if they continue that trajectory in, through their learning experience of junior rugby and they continue to have to hit at that height, by the time they get to seniors, they won't have this feeling that they must hit at the ball or above the ball height. And then that, in turn, should reduce and the, the contact with the heads and make sure hat tackles are lower, which, in turn, will make the tackle player safer, safer and the tackler safer during the contact. Now, you're an experienced referee, um, so you will be not only refereeing very regularly, but uh, you will also be having discussions with other referees. You'll probably have some of your sessions videoed. So you will have a very clear picture of what a high tackle looks like. Most referees at junior level outside of cup games will be the coach and they will be having to make judgments on what is a high tackle and what isn't. So can you give us some ideas of what they should look for or help them to make better decisions given that they can't be being filmed or reviewing their refereeing outcomes as much as they would like if at all so what we say to new or aspiring referees is we need to get ourselves in the best possible position to see the contact so when we're looking for a high a high tackle we're looking traditionally at the contact between the neck and the head so we, we deem it is direct contact to head, head on neck at the moment would be a red card without any mitigating circumstances. As a coach or as a, an aspiring referee, be in the best possible position to be able to see that contact point. So if, as you're moving from one ruck to the next, make sure we've always got the ball visible to us. So we've always got the ball carrier visible to us. And you can normally anticipate where the, where the tackle is going to be. So as a referee, look, look up. Don't ever look down because not much happens on the ground when the ball is in the air. So let's make sure that we're looking at where the ball, the ball carrier is, where the ball is, and what contact point is going to happen. Because if you can get yourself in the best possible position to see that contact point, you're going to be easily able to identify if it's high tackle or not. If you get yourself the wrong side or up in front of the action, you're not in the best possible position to see that, and therefore you may not see what you think you've seen and we've got to remember that as a community co uh, community referees and and coaches if you're refereeing you only get one look at this it's not like the premiership it's not you know and the, and world rugby where they get the opportunity to watch back on 16 different camera angles we get one look and for me i'd always tell referees make sure you're in the best possible position to see it on that one look if you don't get 100 percent right that's okay as long as we make sure we're in the best possible position to make the best possible call. So there are a number of myths, perhaps, around what is the best possible call, because when it appears on television, the commentators and the summarisers and the analysts uh, will say, well, of course, that's just rugby, and that's what rugby should be like, and um, um, that, that, that's, that's just wrong. But what 
what should we be looking for in terms of the behaviour of the ball carrier and the tackler that is not mitigating circumstances and perhaps even understanding what mitigating circumstances should mean? So just just sort of dispel a few of the myths and uh, in terms of what we're actually looking for in terms of changes of behaviour in the tackle, which makes it not such a bad tackle or maybe still a high tackle, but uh, there are some circumstances where we might dial down our reaction. So the main thing we're looking for from the, from the tackler is that we do see a bend at the waist. We want to see that bend at the waist so that we can identify that they are actually attempting to go low. There are going to be times when a player is going to be bent at the waist and then there's a sudden change in direction or the, the, or the, or the ball carrier lowers their body height and, that, and we get an unavoidable incident where we have a head contact collision. There are times when these are just rugby incidents. There's nothing anybody can do. So if we can see the tackle, tackler bending at the waist, attempting to make a, a, a legal tackle, then this is the first thing we actually can consider as to whether we need to penalise the, the, the head contact or not. So that's the first thing we need to look at. In terms of mitigation, and the, we, we hear a lot when the Premiership referees when they talk about mitigation, and one of those things is clear line of sight. So as we say, is if there's a head-to-head head contact, but it's suddenly there was a player in front of the player in front of you, and then they step out of the way, and all of a sudden this, the player carrying the ball is right in your face. They've got very little time to adjust their body height because of that. So that's where we look at mitigating circumstances. So we might then say, yes, it's direct ahead. However, it's very late and therefore they've had no time to adjust. So therefore we can mitigate it down to a yellow card potentially if it's a forceful impact. If it's a non, if it's a, if it's a passive impact, then actually we could start a yellow card and come down to penalty. Um, so, sorry, are we saying that all high tackles are yellow cards as as a minimum, or are we sometimes having to say that was a bit high? Uh, you need to um, take yourself down. I mean, I, I'm sh- just just for some clarity here. So, not all not all high tackles will be will be yellow cards. Not all high tackles will be red cards, and not all high tackles will be penalties. I think we have to remember there is still the penalty option. There are times when. You know, we get the we commonly phrased it as the seatbelt tackle, where it's just it's light, wide with the arm, and they've just caught as they've gone around the outside of them, they've just caught the player on top of the shoulder and slid into the neck. That's a penalty only. It's no real danger to the to the, to the ball carrier. It's just slightly higher. We just want to change that player behaviour so they go around the waist instead of round over the top of the shoulder and into the neck. So majority of high tackles we actually see, especially age-grade rugby and, and a lot of time at senior rugby, are penalty-only ta- high tackles. There's no force in them. There's, a, there's, you know, there's very little fault. That it's just a, a missed time where they've just gone wide and they've just caught the player. And as, or as they're running back, they're trying to make a tackle and they've just missed time. They've gone over the top of the shoulder and just pulled on the neck as they've gone to ground. That's still a penalty. Nothing's changed there. The only area where it has changed is this direct contact to head. So when we see, and we talk about it as a passive or a, a forceful contact into, into the player. So if you see the shoulder hitting the head and the player carrying the ball being knocked backwards, 
you know, that's a proactive tackle. They've deliberately gone in there. They've used their whole weight to go through the body. And if that's hitting the head, then we need to start at the red card. Opposite side to that is if the player who's carrying the ball goes into the tackler and the tackler falls backwards, so we call that a passive tackle. However, when they've fallen backwards, when, when they've hit them, the initial contact has been with the head, with the shoulder, but they're falling backwards. And that one we can all, we can mitigate down to being a yellow card because we're saying it's, there's, no, there's very little force in that compared to the first action. So I'm just going to think, I'm thinking about these yellows and red cards and uh, obviously at your level, you're confident to hand out reds and yellows. Maybe you're known as someone who hands out cards. I don't know. But uh, the, the, the referee who's taking, say, the under-15s Sunday morning game and they see something which would be ordinarily in a pro game, a red card. Would we expect them to be reaching for a red card in those circumstances? Are we? Do, do they need to manage it differently? What's What's the feeling on that? So, I think we we all know the occasions when we get a red card, and I think what we've got to remember as referees, uh, under fifteens, under fourteens, or senior world rugby, is that when we see a red card, it tends to scream at you. It is a red card. So, if you've got one in an under in an under fifteen game where he is completely wiped out the guy on the floor the guy's knocked out or you know this is an extreme example of it. it's a big hit to the head with his shoulder and he's knocked the player out we need to set a lesson for that player and to uh, we have to tell him that that is a red card offense we can't mitigate that out just because of his age it's then up to disciplinary as to how they then deal with it so I, I believe that at age grade rugby, the disciplinary is held by the club. So the club need to deal with it how they see fit based upon what the RFU and World Rugby have set out uh, as a minimum standard for disciplinaries. We as referees are the policemen of the game. We're not the court and the jury. So we just need to remember that as referees. However, I, I agree with you. There are occasions where you know, the yellow card or the penalty only, if you get a couple of penalty only really high, uh, penalty only ta high tackles in an under-15s game, I would say to the referee, go and have a word. Have a word with the captain. Maybe if there's water come on and the coach has come on with the water, just have a quiet word with them, have a word with them all while the coach is there. And just reiterate that point of, gents, we have to go lower. We have to see the bend at the waist. Because then we can get it across to the coach that he needs to talk to his players as well about that change of mindset. And if we then continue to get a trend, it might be something you have to, you know, speak to, you know, we may have to go to a card then, or we may have to speak to the coach and go, look, you really need to get hold of your guys that they are going high. And we just can't accept that because we have to look after the other team as well. Now, sometimes we're told as referees to set your stall out very tough at the start and it's easier to come away from being tough uh, rather than toughen up the game. So uh, I completely understand why you would do the sort of softly approach because that's happened. Is there not a case to make it quite clear before the start of the game that you have a level of tolerance and the very first tackle which could be close to high or even high, you not red card them but you come in hard on the penalty. Is that is that still a valid approach? 
I think there, are, there is some value in it. If you get a 50-50 one in a neutral area of the field, which is a marginal high tackle very early on, then I would say penalise it. Set your stall out, say we're not accepting high tackles. That is my, that, that's my line, and therefore that may change player behaviour really early. I really like your point around before the game. We have a lot of time. We talk to the front rows and we talk to, you know, we always do this usual brief with the front rows and stuff. And we talk to the captain about discipline and, and who can talk to you, etc. There's no reason as a referee why you can't, especially early season into the new season, why you shouldn't go and have a word with them at that point and just say, fellas, remember, we really need to see that bend at the waist and we need to see tackles low. We, we are going to be hot on it. So don't give me a reason to blow the whistle and don't give me a reason to penalise you. And that could set the stall up really early and then you might get a really good buy-in from both teams that he's not going to accept high tackles today. We need to make sure we are going low so we don't end up with 14 men on the field. Okay, so um, we're talking about you're talking to the players and making it very clear. You may be talking to the coaches one of the other roles of a referee is not just to manage the players and the coaches, but also manage the crowd. And certainly the crowd in um, a junior uh, amateur game can have a massive effect on the players because of their the ways that they are talking about you and the team. So how do we manage crowds effectively around controversial areas like the tackle height? So we always talk in the RFU about the stakeholders of the game and, and the crowd is one of the stakeholders of the game when we look at these kind of things. So what is the expected decision here? So if we do have, and I think we, we've got a real big thing here, that we don't control the crowd. We can't control the action on the field. As, as a referee, you can only control the controllables. So you can control what you blow and when you blow it and your preventatives, but you can't prevent a player taking another player high. You know, if they're going to do that, they're going to do it anyway. We as a referee have got to take a step back there and just referee the actions of the players. We can mitigate it early brilliantly, but otherwise we can't. So I do think that coming up, especially in age grade rugby, we, we are going to have a little bit of a problem with, with, the, with spectators, which tend to be parents that are always going to be invested in the game in a different way to what you'd expect to see at Exeter or Sale or you know, or Bristol, because they're people who are coming in and paying in a different way. These people care about the children because they've known them probably since they were six years old. So if they see a high tackle come into those, they're going to want they're going to want some kind of action. I'd say to the referee, is slow it all, slow everything down. Especially if you've got an injury, slow the whole process down. Get your thought process in your head. Think about what you've seen. Think about whether you need to, what kind of action you now need to take, and don't be afraid that if you if you are giving in an age grade rugby, if we are giving a red card, don't be afraid to ask the coach to come to come near. As long as he's not, you know, as long as he's receptive to what you to, to how to the game, don't be afraid to go and go. Look, this is the reason why I've got to make this decision, and just follow the framework and and the, and the process as it's been laid out. And it's effectively you as a referee have got no option. If you've had to follow, if you follow the process, and it leads you to a red card, you've got no option as a referee. We are just a policeman, as I say, and we have to issue that. And then at least it gives the coach the ability to then go to the spectators and explain 
you know, because then they can go to the coach. They're not shouting at you or you know or asking you why something was. They can go to the coach and ask him exactly what what the decision was and why the referee made it. Not everybody's going to agree with you, but at least it's a way of mitigating yourself out of that incident. I always find also along those lines is to say, this is what I saw from the angle I saw it. As you said earlier on, you've only got one look. You've got to judge it on that one look. They may say, well, I saw this. I say, you can always then say, well, that's fine. But this is what I saw from the angle I saw it. And this is the call I'm going to make. And you just got to, got to stick with it. Now, um, we've been talking about the tackle height. Uh, but another part of the potential or the, the law change or the change in ideas uh, is around about the ball carrier height. Can you just give us a little bit more detail around that? Because that's not so obvious to uh, many people. Yeah, so the, as part of which came out with this new high tackle law was they're looking to introduce a trial at the lower age groups. Um, the, the ball carrier can no longer change their height once they've caught, well, effectively once they've caught the ball. Meaning that when they go into contact, they can't suddenly drop themselves down. We tend to see this a lot, and I mean, one of the key examples, I think, is if you look at Exeter Chiefs when they're near the line, they go low, they try and go low and underneath players. And what we're trying to prevent happening here is players suddenly dropping their height and then having a, uh, having a shoulder to the head, which is going to be dangerous for them, especially at lower age groups. So, what we want to see is that player, if he's going to take it in, he can't just suddenly drop himself down and then, you know, potentially it would cause a penalty or, you know, a player to injure that player. And we don't want to see that. So what we wanted to do is if he catches that ball, we can lean into the player. Like, you know, we don't, what we what we don't want to see is that massive drop in height. You know, it, there are going to be times when you naturally, as you run forward, you do lower your height a little bit. Referees aren't going to be looking at that. What they're going to be looking at is that sudden real drop themselves down almost, you know, into that squat position just before contact. And that's what we need to avoid as referees. So if I'm just about to, uh, I'm two, two metres from the line and I pick the ball from the back of the ruck, uh, I can't start, say, at perhaps, if I'm, say, six foot, I can't, um, say, start at five foot and then drop myself down to three foot. I've got to start at three foot Um and then the tackler has to adjust to my three-foot height. It's, it's about dropping the height rather than the starting height. Yeah, it's about dropping the height. And the reason behind that is, as we've seen, is that if there's a sudden drop in height, the, ta the, the tackler has no ability to change their position. If they can see a clear line of sight where you're at a certain height, they've got that clear line of sight to be able to drop their tackle position to tackle you at the, the correct height. But if you suddenly drop right in front of them, they've got no time to adjust. And therefore, they will make probably contact with your head, neck region. And that's not what we want to see in the game of rugby. We don't want to see players losing themselves in the game at 15, 16, you know, 14, because they've, they've suffered a lot, of suffered concussions. And this is a you know, more of a, co and I'm sure coaches will look into this more uh, as, the, as the rule develops. But... It, for us as referees, I think the clear thing for us here is don't overcomplicate it. Have they dropped? Have they just caught the ball and just before contact dropped themselves significantly? If they have, penalise them because it's a safety thing for the player. 
How about scoring tries then? Because uh, there was chat about the way that Johnny May scored a try recently. I mean, he's not the only one to do it, where he leapt into the air and then adjusted his body in the air to score a try. Now, there's a couple of things which come around that. Well, is he allowed to do it? And secondly, as a tackler, uh, the players in the air, that one ruling or one law suggests you can't tackle someone in the air. So how, how do we work our way around this one? So there is no actual law in the law book. It is a common myth that there's a law in the law book that says you can't jump into the tackle. There isn't actually. What it actually says is you cannot endanger an opponent. So, And that's always been interpreted as you can't jump into the tackle. And the reason being, is, as we've spoken about, we want players to go low and bend at the waist. If you jump into that tackle, actually the point of contact for your head as the tackler is going to be their knee. And that's going to potentially you know, injure you as the tackler. So what we don't want to see is that endangering. Players are still, you are allowed to legitimately dive for the line for a score trying opportunity. And we're not going to stop that. That's a part of the game, which is great. We There was a lot of discussion around the Johnny May incident because it was a question mark as to whether the Italian had the ability to tackle him because he jumped before the tackle. Um, and it was very split across across the rugby world. The, some referees went with, no, it should have been penalised, he endangered the Italian, what can the Italian do? Other people went with, well, he's diving for the line, so it's legal. It was a very grey area and it still needs to be sort of sorted out a little bit that I think we still need to go back to our rugby and go what is the definition here but as a as a referee I don't think you're going to see that very often in the community game we have to remember that like what we see in showbiz professional rugby is not the game that we see in your park in, in your local rugby club so don't get het up on a lot of clips from pro games and think, well, he's done this and I'm going to have to go out there and referee like this because this referee did this. No, no, no. Take a step back go, is my game representative of what I've just seen on telly? And 99% of the time, it is going to be no if you're refereeing but age grade rugby or anything below, you know, level, level six and below. It's just not going to be really representative. So you can just take that step back and referee what's in front of you. And that's brilliant. I've, you've made some good and very clear points on, especially on the ball carrier height and the fact that we need to look at uh, the changing of the height. Now, just before we uh, start recording all this morning, uh, there's been some more law experimentation, which uh, must um, bring joy to every referee's heart uh, because there's some more laws to be interpreted and thought about. So can you just talk us through... Um, the two new laws which will be trialled in the Southern Hemisphere at international level and potentially will we see them here in the Northern Hemisphere and then we'll just to develop some thoughts around that. So two laws that are being talked about and they have been trialled already in Super Rugby uh, Altura and um, and in other tournaments as well. One of them is the 50-22. So this would mean is if you kicked from inside your own half and it lands in the opposing 22, you would get the line out. 
uh, instead of it being the opposition's line out as so it's got the kick's got to uh, it's got to come from inside. your own half and it's got to land inside it's got to bounce inside the 22 and then go into touch yeah and so the idea behind that is to effectively reduce the amount of people in the back line. And so, so the, when the defense, so defenses have to drop more players into a sort of a secondary defensive line, because if the kick comes in, then they have the ability that it could potentially roll and they could get a line up potentially five meters out from your own line mm. if they kicked it from their own half. Um, so the idea is that there's going to be more space for the attacking team to be able to run into because there's not going to be as many defensive players in the back line. Now, from a referee's... Okay, so let's think about that one. Um, obviously, there's uh, coaches are putting their tactical hats on and thinking, I could do this, this, and this is what's going to look like. From a referee's point of view, um, do you see many problems in having to deal with this or do you think it's going to be quite straightforward? So the 50-22 law is where if you kick the ball from inside your own half and it lands inside the 22 and then goes into touch, you as the kicker get the, get the actual line out. Your team gets the line out, yeah. Okay. Right, okay. So we've made, we've made that clear. And from the referee's point of view, uh, you, it's probably not going to be that difficult to referee. The difficulty will be, obviously, a kick is... A, a, a distance so if the nine passes to the 10 you're near the nine so that you might be five ten yards away from him but you can probably work out in the where he is in terms of the halfway line but you might not be able to judge whether it's bounced in the 22 or not and that's going to be a potential problem and you're going to have to sometimes take your best guess yeah, I think with especially community pitches we all know that some community pitches and I've refereed a few which are part-time farms and part-time rugby pitches and the pitch markings are not great so we have to well it'll be a bit tight and all we can do is tell the players that what we've seen and at the end of the day and i think this also gets back to the point of we need to be in the best possible position to see that as well so if you see that that kick is going to go in you know when the ball's in the air very little happens actually so as long as you make sure all the players are on side so before it, it bounces, get yourself in a really good position as the players come through to be able to see where that ball is going to land. So, and with this law, it's also the other way around. Of If you're inside your 22 and you kick it and it lands in the opponent half and goes out, you also need to see that. But, you know, and so use the pitch markings as well. Use the flags. You can normally take, you know, the fl there's two flags on the 22s, you know, on either side. There's flags on the halfway line on either side. So you are going to be able to judge pretty well. It's only the ones which are marginal either way. And if you think it's marginal, I'd always benefit the team that's the sort of the non-offending team as such. So the team that was that would you would have traditionally have thrown into that line out, I'd benefit them first. Because if you're unsure, it's a very big margin for you to suddenly go, you've got a line out in, you know, because it could have bounced on the 22. And if it lands on the line, that's inside and rolls all the way to the five, you're either giving a five-metre defensive line-out or a five-metre attacking line-out. And if you're giving a five-metre attacking line-out and you weren't 100% sure, then, you know, that could potentially be seven points. Mm. So we need to be really... Be sure about where it lands. Use the pitch markings. But at the same time, if you're unsure, always benefit the defensive team inside their own 22. Okay. So the other 
potential new law is has which has been trialled is the fact that originally a five meter scrum on on the uh, by the try line uh, is now changed into a drop kick. So just talk us through how we get to that situation, then what happens next. So the idea behind this is actually to reward the defensive teams and to make the attacking teams have to work harder and potentially score wider than they probably want to score. So as a defensive team at the moment, as we know, if, if you know they come towards you and you hold them up, we get a five-minute scrum. And we tend to then end up with about five or six scrums at five metres because we constantly get collapses or resets or penalties and we're trying to get away from this area it's not an area of the game which a lot of people like to watch they like to watch the you know the the, the exciting bits of running rugby so this one's been trialed to reward the defensive teams that if they manage to hold somebody up in in goal they get a goal line dropout instead so they can hoof it you know and some teams will have amazing kickers that can hoof it back to halfway other teams as we know it sort of the younger and, and age grade rugby, where if it gets brought in as a worldwide trial, they won't have the ability to actually have a restart on the 22, but it's still going to be away from the try line again. And I think, it, for me, I think this is a really nice thing to happen. You know, we, when we're going to get away a little bit from this continual pick and drive, pick and drive, one dimensional rugby. And teams are going to have to be a little bit more imaginative as to how they're going to score. Because they're going to be able to go for the corners probably better and get their backs involved than pick and go around the side of a ruck where we end up with 20, 30 phases and then eventually it gets over. And then as a community referee, we don't have the ability to look at all these camera angles and go, has it been scored or not? You know, if you're unsure and we, we get held up or if you, if, if you're, if you've seen a held up and you, you're pretty sure it's held up and not scored, then it's fine. Remember, though, that inconclusive, they haven't haven't incorporated the if it's inconclusive. So we always get that as a referee. We get, an inc- you know, I'm not sure if it's grounded there, but I also can't, you know, can't see if it's held up or something like that. So the inconclusive would still be a five-meter scrum, but the likelihood of that happening in goal is very minimal. But I think the main idea around this is to get the ball away from the try line, give teams more attacking ability, and make teams come up with new plays around the goal line. So just to reiterate a couple of uh, details around that, uh, the kick has to be taken uh, between the posts and how far back are the defending team? Uh, how far back is their minimum? I think they have to be 10 metres back. So they have to be the same as... I think. It's, I believe that the idea around this has also been taken from, you know, Super Rugby, from, from Super League and, and, and Rugby League is that, you know, the ball has to carry 10 meters so you can't do the thing which we always see on a you know we see occasionally on a 22 dropout where they just nudge it over the line and then we get you know then they can kick it long um they have the ball has to travel those 10 meters and then we also have to have you know the team has to be back to allow them the space to kick it okay so the ball has to travel 10 meters um and I mean, you could, if you wanted, if you're clever, you probably kick to yourselves. If you kick to the ten meters, someone chased it. That that would be fine, and that would be 
that would be one of the one of the options. Yeah, and I think that'd be you know that's also part of the game, isn't it? The the fact of you could get a situation where it's held up in goal, referee gives held up, drop goal line drop out, and as referees we then need to manage this situation because unlike with a twenty two where they can play it as quickly as possible. We need to manage this situation because you could get that exact instinct of it's held up. Someone then passes somebody the ball, get get themselves under the post, take the quick drop out, goes to the goes wide ten meters. Guy catches it. We run down the other end and score. Mm. And you know unintended consequences of law changes sometimes have to be have to be noted like this. We had a very similar one with the penalty try situation when they brought in the penalty try was instantly seven points. Mm. Um, the team, uh, one of the first trial games the RFU did. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, they then ran up to halfway, took a 10 metre drop out, got it over 10 metres, collected the ball and scored the try themselves. And we hadn't legislated for the fact that the team would turn around and go, oh, yeah, well, actually, they took the, it's dead now. So, therefore, once a try has been scored and a conversion has been scored, we can take the drop out, we can take the halfway kick as quickly as possible so we have to as referees adapt ourselves to go no it's not in the spirit of the law of the game it had to be it has to be taken slowly and i think we'll have to do the same with these scroll line dropouts is going once it's held up right it's slow they have to have the ability to get back to the 10 meters and then you can take it and as referees we've got a lot of tools to do that you know tends to be when it's held up there's always somebody that wants to do their laces up or somebody who wants to have an you know, who's a bit injured or something like that. Just use your time wisely as a referee. Check that everybody's on their feet to start off with. Check that they're all back 10 and just hold the kicker. And just, you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing a third 15 game, they'll be thankful for you to try and try and, <laughs> try and exactly. slow the game down a bit. You know, if you're doing a Colts game, they, they won't be as thankful. But again, you need to make sure those players are up and they're all safe before we then move on to the next passage of play. And we don't want these unintended consequences. I always turn around to players and say, would you like it to happen to you? So if, you know, if they took the quick top out, kick it 10 metres and score, uh, so, and they always say, would you want that to happen to you if you weren't ready? And they always turn around and say no. So as long as you're fair and you turn around to them and say, look, I'm just being fair to both teams, a lot of time they, they're quite appreciative of it. Yeah, there's always someone who argues with the referee and uh, that's what we have to deal with. Adam, what you've done there is you've given us some great clarity on these new rules, laws and situations and also on ways to deal with them. Obviously, coaches who are listening in are thinking of ways to, I won't say exploit them, but to use them tactically to their own advantage. And that's one of the ideas why they've been uh, introduced uh, in terms of the tackle height and obviously the ball carry height. I think there's um, these are good these are good things. Um, again, it'll take a bit of time to bed down, but changing behaviour in the long run is what it's all about. And making the referee's life easier is never what the rule changes or law changes are about. We know that. It just makes referees' lives a little bit more complicated. But again, I think you've given us some clarity on that. So, um, Adam, thank you very much for your time on that. That's absolutely okay. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get back on again and talk about some of the other areas. I'm sure there's uh, plenty to chat about in terms of uh, dealing with the tackle and the ruck area. But thanks again for your time. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you want to find out more about the podcast, go over to rugbycoachweekly.net. 
and click on the podcast button where you will find more information about what we've talked about and links to the laws. Though um, what we've discovered is that uh, World Rugby aren't necessarily um, quite clear on exactly where you can find them, but we will find them for you so you know where to look for them. So uh, thanks everyone for listening and we will speak again to you soon. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.